1: We present Haunted
2: Stories of the Supernatural. The Dream Woman by Wilkie Collins. Adapted for radio by Derek Hodinot.
3: Here's your ale, sir. Ah, thank you. Ah. A landlord, is it possible to hire a gig from you? I came from Ferndale this morning to meet a fellow practitioner here, but my horse went lame, and I have no means of transport home. We're rather busy, as you can see, sir, I'm sure I could spare one of my men. John!
4: John!
2: Yes, sir, Mr. Warren?
4: Has Robert come back from that errand yet?
2: No, sir!
3: No, oh, I see. Then you'd better wake up Isaac right away. Sir? Wake up Isaac? If you pardon me saying so, landlord, that sounds rather odd. Do your ostlers go to bed in the daytime? This one does, sir. He dreams, too. Dream? Terrible dreams, sir. He cries out in his sleep and he tosses and turns. Really? Uh, landlord, I have a fancy for seeing this man before you wake him. I'm a doctor, and if this strange sleeping and dreaming of his comes from anything wrong in his brain, I may be able to help. I rather think you'll find his complaint past all doctrine, sir. But if you'd like to see him, you're welcome,
4: I'm sure. He's in the stable, if you'd like to follow me. You see what I mean, Doctor?
0: Uh,
3: Yes. Uh, How old did you say he was? Nearly 60. Well, he looks a withered old man of 80.
4: I know, sir. I was shocked too when I saw him for the first time. It made me feel cold inside. (laughs) Uh, Look, you see how restless he is? He's going to speak.
2: Wake up! Wake up, man! Uh,
4: uh, it's always the same uh, sir. don't touch him but if you want a gig <laughs> shh sh- sh-
3: light grey eyes
2: with a droop in the left eyelid. flaxen hair with a gold yellow streak in it. all right mother fair white arms With it down on them (laughs) The knife always the cursed knife first one side then the other (laughs) you see devil where is the knife
3: (sighs) My God how he suffers Do you know anything about this man's past life? Yes, sir. I know pretty well all about it. And an
4: uncommon queer story, it is, to be sure. Most people don't believe it, of course,
1: but
3: it's true for all that. I'd like to know more about him, if I may. Landlord, I'm in no particular hurry. Uh, Will you tell me his story over some lunch? Perhaps we could share a bottle of sherry. your health, sir. You too, landlord. Well, it's a dreadful
4: story, sir. He seems fated. You know what I mean. A man without luck. Everything seemed to go wrong for him from the start. His father died when he was a baby and his mother had a fair struggle bringing him up, with the result that Isaac arrived in middle life ...with an alien mother, no savings, no wife or children. Then, through his mother, he heard of a job going as a stable helper... ...at a gentleman's residence in a town about 18 miles away. So, she packed Isaac off one morning and he walked there... ...reaching the house in the late afternoon. Uh Huh? Gone? Well, bad luck struck again... ...because he found on arrival that the post had already been filled. Isaac took it well, however, and before starting for home, he learnt from a nearby inn that he might save a few miles by following a new road, which he took. Just as it was getting dark, the rain started to come on, and the wind began to rise, and the first house he came to was a lonely roadside inn, Standing on the outskirts of a thick wood.
3: Evening, innkeeper.
2: Evening, sir. You're lucky. I was just about to lock up. Have your room for the night, please. If you can pay. Oh, I can pay. I have some money with me. Would you like some food? If I have enough. Let's see. Yes, you have enough. I'll lock up first and then I'll show you to your room. Oh oh my god.
4: Who are you?
5: Go away.
2: Knife. Oh my God. Help! Wake up! Help me! in my room. A a woman with a knife with a buckle on handle. There's no one here, sir. A flaxen-head woman, light grey eyes. She she jabbed at me with the knife twice over. Look, I'll I'll show you where she stabbed. She seems to have missed you twice, too, sir. I dodged the knife as it came down. It struck the mattress each time as I turned. Otherwise, I'd, I'd not be alive to tell the tale. Devil fly away with you and your woman with a knife. Look, sir, there isn't a mark on the bedclothes anywhere. What do you mean by coming into a man's place and frightening his family out of their wits by nothing more than a dream? I'll leave your house at once, sir. Better out in the road in the rain and dark on my way home than in this room after what I've just seen.
6: Isaac, tell me. What? time was it when you saw this fair woman holding that knife with the buckhorn handle? Just after two o'clock, Mother. T- two o'clock in the morning. This morning, in fact. Today is your birthday. And two o'clock was the time when you were born.
2: Well, I... I, I don't understand. No,
6: Isaac, listen to me. I want to write all this down. No, I... I want to know every detail about this dream of yours, this... Terrible ghost with a knife.
2: Ghost, Mother? Oh, of course. You seem to be making a great fuss over nothing more than no, a dream. Isaac, you...
6: now tell me once again. All you told me a minute ago, when you spoke of what this woman with the knife looked like. Now, please.
2: She had light grey eyes, with a droop in the left eyelid.
6: Flaxen hair. Oh, no, no, not so fast, my son. Flaxen hair. Flaxen hair. Yes. No, go on. There was a gold,
2: yellow streak in it.
6: Gold. Yes.
2: White arms with down upon them.
6: With down upon them.
4: Mrs. Scratcharn wrote down every detail of the dream and added the year, month, day of the week and the time in the morning when the woman had appeared to her son.
3: Then she carefully locked up the paper in her writing desk. Was that the first time Isaac dreamt about the woman then? Yes. Then one day, as the evening drew on, Mrs.
4: Scratcher discovered that a bottle of tonic medicine, which she was accustomed to take, happened to be empty. Isaac immediately volunteered to go to the chemist and get it refilled. It was as rainy and bleak an autumn night as on the night of his terrible dream. On going into the chemist's shop, he was passed hurriedly by a poorly dressed woman on her way out. The glimpse of her face struck him as she descended the doorstep.
2: Good evening, Mr. Scratchard. Uh, uh, Good evening. My mother's usual tonic, please. Of course, sir. It's going to be a stormy night by the look of it. It is, indeed. Here you are, sir. Thank you. Uh, I see you noticed the woman who was in here just now. Uh, Yes. Who is she? I don't rightly know, but it's my opinion there's something wrong with her. She's been asking for Lordnum to put on a bad tooth. Master's out for half an hour and I told her I wasn't allowed to sell poison to a stranger in his absence. It's a case of suicide, if ever there was one. Suicide? Yes, you can tell. How is your mother these days? Uh, Well, thank you. Uh, I I must hurry. Uh, Good night. Good night, sir. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me, but are you in distress? Can I be of help?
6: <laughs> I look like a, a comfortable, happy woman, do I?
2: Oh, well, sorry, I, I didn't mean.
6: My name is Rebecca Murdoch. I have ninepence left, and I thought of spending it at the chemist's, securing a passage to the other world. Whatever that is, it cannot be worse than this. No, you
2: you mustn't talk of killing yourself. I I mean, that's terrible. But I'd stop you. Uh, Even if I followed you about all night, I'd stop you.
5: Well, sir. I see. Maybe I won't give you that trouble. You've given me a fancy for living, speaking kindly to
6: me. Come to Fuller's Meadow at noon tomorrow. You will find me alive to answer for myself. I promise.
2: Perhaps this will help.
6: No. No money. My ninepence will go to get me a good night's lodging as I want. Good night, sir.
2: Good night. Full is meadow.
3: It is strange. But I believe her. And did he go?
4: He did indeed, sir, and a few meetings later completed his total infatuation with her. In less than a month from the time when he first met her, Isaac Scratchard had consented to give Rebecca a new interest in existence by promising to make her his wife. Ah. And from that moment on, she took possession of him, directing him on every point in his behavior towards her and his mother, of whom she seemed intensely jealous. Oh,
3: did Isaac tell his mother of his marriage plans? Yes, yes. On the same day as he contracted it, And what did Mrs. say? Well, She showed perfect
4: confidence in her son by flinging her arms around his neck and giving him joy of having found at last a woman to comfort and care for him after she was gone. She was all eagerness to see the woman of his choice. And the next day he was fixed for the introduction.
2: Mother?
6: You're here at last, Isaac. Well, where is she?
2: Outside, in the hall.
6: What is she doing there? Are you hiding her from me? Bring her in here, my boy. I cannot wait to meet her.
2: Very well. Rebecca, this way. Mother, this is Rebecca. Isaac! Mother, are you ill?
6: Doesn't this woman's face remind you of something?
2: I don't understand. What
6: does this mean? Does your mother want to insult oh me? Oh, my God, look at her. Just look at her, my son. I am leaving, Isaac. No, one moment. Let me look closely at you. Take your hand from my arm. Mother, please. You're hurting me. Mother, leave her alone. Look at her, Isaac. It is her. Don't you see, my son? It is her.
2: Rebecca! Rebecca, come back. Isaac, mother, you look so
6: ill. What has Rebecca done? Light gray eyes, a droop in the left eyelid, flaxen hair with a gold-yellow streak in it, white arms with down upon them. Remember, Isaac, don't you remember? The dream woman. She is the dream woman. No, mother. You are mistaken.
2: And yet, yes. When we first met, I had a strange feeling. I had a
6: strange feeling that I
2: had seen her face somewhere before.
6: You had my son in a dream. Oh, beware, Isaac. Let her go and you stop with me. Please, Isaac, do as I ask. Stop with me.
2: I cannot, Mother. I have promised to marry Rebecca and marry her I must three weeks later Isaac and Rebecca
4: were man and wife after some quiet months of married life as the summer was ending and the year was getting on towards the month of his birthday Isaac found his wife altering against him
3: she grew sullen and contemptuous and eventually took to drink oh how dreadful A woman consumed in drink is worse than any man. What did Isaac do? He had been in a sadly despondent
4: state for some time before he realized Rebecca had become a drunkard and was keeping company with drunkards. His mother's health, as he could plainly see every time he visited her, was failing fast, and he upbraided himself in secret as being the cause of her bodily and mental suffering. Then she noticed the change that was overtaking Isaac, and he told her about Rebecca's drunkenness. To his astonishment, she got up, dressed, and prepared to go out.
2: Mother, where are you going? You cannot go out, you're too ill.
6: I am not long for this world, Isaac, it's true. But I shall not feel easy on my deathbed unless I've done my best to the last to make my son happy. I mean to put my own fears and my own feelings out of the question and to go with you to your wife and try what I can to reclaim her. Give me your arm, Isaac, and let me do the last thing in this world and
3: help my son before it's too late. And how did this go? Very well at first. The
4: meeting between Mrs. Scratchard and Rebecca passed off much better than Isaac had anticipated. It was a relief to him, therefore, when Rebecca began to lay the table. Then she brought in the bread, cut a slice from the loaf for her husband, and returned to the kitchen. At that moment, Isaac, still anxiously watching his mother, was startled by seeing the same ghostly change pass over her face as on the morning when Rebecca and she first met.
6: Isaac. Isaac, my son. Mother, what is it? Oh, take me home, please. Come with me now and never come back here again. What is the matter? Oh, take my arm and help me up. Take me home. Oh, please take me home. Well,
2: what has Rebecca done this time? Tell me.
6: Did you not see what your wife cut the bread with? I was
2: not noticing. What was it? Well,
6: look at it. A new clasped knife with a buckhorn handle. The knife in the dream, Isaac. The knife
4: in the dream. When Isaac got his mother home, she pleaded with him not to return, but he did. You see, he had to get the knife. Meanwhile, Rebecca had discovered their secret departure. She had been drinking and was in a fury of passion. The dinner in the kitchen was flung under the grate, the cloth was off the parlor table, and the knife was gone. And did Isaac look for it? Not at first. Unwisely, he asked Rebecca for it.
2: The knife with the buckhorn handle. Where is it, Rebecca?
6: You want the knife? Why? Give me a good reason. I want it. No reason, no knife. I'll
2: find it if I have to search every inch of this house.
6: Search for it then, search, but you won't find it.
4: And his search was unsuccessful. When night came, he left the house and walked the streets. He was afraid now even to sleep in the same room with her. Then, five days before his birthday, his mother died. Ah. Her last words in this world were addressed to him. Don't go back, my son, she said. Don't go back. Oh, well, Surely Isaac heeded his mother's last warning. He couldn't. He was obliged to go back if it were only to watch his wife. Then she announced that she would assert her right to attend his mother's funeral. And on the day appointed for the burial, she came into her husband's presence inflamed and shameless with drink.
2: What do you think you're doing?
5: What does it look like?
2: You're drunk.
5: <laughs> That's right. Oh, How did you guess?
2: You're not going to my mother's grave in that
6: condition. I have the right, as your wife... If I say I'm going, I'm going. I wouldn't miss the opportunity of making sure she's gone.
2: You evil creature. I won't have you standing by the graveside, the drunken stupid... And who
6: is going to stop me, pray? Not you, Isaac. (laughs) Not dear little Isaac. Stop it!
3: (laughs) Rebecca, I... No
6: man has ever struck me twice. And my husband shall never have a second opportunity. Set the door open and let me go. From this day forth we see each other no more.
4: All that night, Isaac watched and waited. But no footsteps came near the house. The next night he stayed awake and watched again. And the next. Until overcome by fatigue he laid down in his bed, in his clothes, with the door locked and the key on the table and candle burning. But his rest was disturbed. Twice he woke without any sensation of uneasiness. But the third time, it was that never to be forgotten shivering of the night at the lonely inn all those years ago, that dreadful sinking pain at the heart, which aroused him in an instant. <laughs>
2: Who's that? Rebecca.
4: Rebecca. You've come for me. Oh, my God. No! Oh, no! 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 He sprang upon her. Almost at the instant of seeing her and taking from her the knife with the buckhorn handle. You told
2: me we should see each other no more, and yet you've come back. It is my turn now to go, and to go forever. I say we shall see each other no more, and my word shall not be broken. I will leave this house at once. Excuse me, sir. What? Oh, Oh, it's it's you, constable. I hope you don't mind me asking, sir, but are you all right? All right? Yes, I'm all right, thank you. You startling me, that's all. It's rather late to be walking the street, sir. What time is it? Two o'clock in the morning. Two o'clock? That's right. You sure? As sure as I'll ever be. Why, sir? Because it's my birthday.
4: It was indeed his birthday, yet had he escaped the mortal peril which his dream foretold, or had he only received a second warning? The knife was in his possession, but a new mistrust of his wife, a vague, unspeakable, superstitious dream, had overcome him. It was daylight when he returned to the house. He ventured indoors, listened, and heard nothing he went up at last into the bedroom it was empty a picklock lay on the floor betraying how she had gained entrance in the night and that was the only trace of her she had gone two or three months after these events Isaac Scratchard came to me withered and old looking before his time as you saw him just now He's as sober, honest and willing a man as there is in England. As for his restlessness at night and his sleeping away his leisure time in the day, who can wonder at
3: it after hearing his story? I suppose he's afraid of a return of that dreadful dream, that nightmare, and of waking out of it in the dark. No. The dream,
4: the nightmare, comes back to him so often that he's got to bear with it by this time. It's the fear of his wife that keeps him from sleeping at night. And has she never been heard of yet? Never. But I have it on good authority that she's dead. Dead? Yes, sir. But. If I told Isaac, sir, but he doesn't believe it. Two in the morning, he says, is the time all the year round when he has got to have the buckhorn knife safe about him. He does not mind being alone as long as he's awake except on the night before his birthday, when he firmly believes himself to be in peril of his life. The birthday's only come round once since he's been here, and then he sat up with the night porter. But if she's dead, she can't harm anyone. No, sir. Not according to Isaac. He still says she's after him, itching to get her hands on that knife. She's looking for me is all he says when anybody speaks to him about the anxiety of his life. She's looking for me.
7: She may be dead. She may be alive.
4: It's all the same to Isaac, sir. She's still looking for him. And who's to say he's wrong? Are you, sir?
2: Was The Dream Woman by Wilkie Collins, starring Charles K as Isaac, Maureen O'Brien as Rebecca, Richard Bebb as the Doctor, and Douglas Blackwell as the Landlord. Catherine Parr played Mrs. Scatchcard, Others taking part were David Timpson
3: and Danny Schiller.
0: BBC World Service. 30-minute theatre. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. We present Haunted, Stories of the Supernatural. This week, The Decoy, by Algernon Blackwood. Adapted for radio by Derek Hodinot. Starring George Baker as John, Susan Jameson as Nancy... Peter Woodward as Harry and Peter Baldwin as Mr. Gower. Haunted.
7: Morning, Nancy.
5: Good morning, darling. Hmm. Breakfast getting cold. Sorry. John. I think you'd better have a look at the local paper. Oh? Front page, bottom left. Mm Mm-hmm. Coffee. I think you're going to need it.
7: You mean this item headed, local businessman buys mystery house? Yes. Oh, what do they mean, mystery house?
5: Sugar, darling. Good God! I shouldn't let it upset you.
7: Upset me? What the hell are they trying to do?
5: You will give yourself a heart attack if you're not careful.
7: Please, Nancy, you don't understand.
5: Just because I'm 15 years younger than you, my darling, you don't have to treat me like a child.
7: I'm sorry, but how do you think I feel? Here I am, providing a local amenity for the sick and the aged, and instead of getting praise from the local paper, I get this. You know what this means, don't you? It means I could lose considerable financial backing, patients, and staff.
5: Did you know Medlow House had such a mysterious past?
7: Of course not. Here was a sound property which could be easily converted into a nursing home of which the local community could be proud. I didn't think it was necessary to ask why some of its previous owners had killed themselves. I was more interested with the state of the foundations, brickwork, and plumbing.
5: Please don't shout. I'm sorry. So a reporter digs up a few stories, legends. It's not the end of the world. I mean, no one believes in that kind of thing now. We're living in the 1920s. Please, get things into perspective.
7: (laughs) Oh, Nancy, you're young, beautiful. You're like a child, innocent, believing the best in people. I love you for it. Please don't change.
5: And you're strong, dependable but just a shade too impulsive.
7: You have to be if you're to succeed in business today.
5: Throw that silly paper away and forget about it. Forget about
7: it? Not on your
3: life. I'm going to call
7: on the editor of that rag on my way to the office.
3: Mr Burley, if you would only please give me a chance to explain.
7: What is there to explain? Your newspaper has done my business venture incalculable harm through
3: this piece of scaremongous... Look, Mr Burley, your purchase of Medlow House is obviously of local interest. And a local advantage but its reputation is far from being untarnished.
7: So a few of its former owners happened, just happened to commit suicide?
3: Five, to be exact.
7: Tell me something, Gower. What's your interest in the place, eh? Hmm? You don't answer.
0: One of the previous owners was my brother.
7: Oh. I see. Well, I'm sorry, of course but it doesn't alter my plan. I wish you'd take the whole thing seriously. Look here, Gar. Please don't tell me how to run my business. I deal in facts, not fiction. That's your province, it
3: seems. Mr Burley... Also,
7: I am spending upwards of £20,000 on Medlow House, and because of that, this project is going to be a success, despite what your paper says. I am not interested in superstition, unbalanced people throwing themselves out of windows, or hearsay talk about phantoms or spooks, or whatever else may go bump in the night. Medlow House will be one of the finest nursing homes in this country. That's what you should be writing about. Yes. In short, Gar, what I'm asking for is some positive reporting about my scheme, not all that negative mumbo-jumbo you're so keen on seeing in your columns. So I want a chance to reply to the rubbish that appeared this morning. Therefore, I shall be expecting a phone call from your reporter in the morning to get a few facts and figures from me. And there's my card.
1: Harry Mortimer speaking.
5: Hello, Harry. Nancy. I see you're back.
1: I got in from Portsmouth last night. Good trip? Yes.
5: When are we going to see each other?
1: Well, darling, you tell me. You're the married woman. I'm the free man.
5: What are you doing next weekend?
1: Uh, I... I don't know.
5: Are you being evasive?
1: Don't be silly, Nancy. Of course not. But there's a ship's party which I oughtn't to miss.
5: Are you inviting me?
1: Well, I I don't know. It's not certain whether...
5: You are trying to avoid me.
1: Of course not. If I'm free, I'd be delighted to be with you. Is your old man going away on business, then?
5: Please don't refer to him like that.
1: Well, darling, he is an old man.
5: He may be going away if an idea I've had today works out. You can come and spend the night with me here at the house.
1: I can't wait.
5: I thought not, after being all that time at sea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You really enjoy it, don't you? What a life you lead between your men. Rich impotence on the one hand and virile poverty on the other.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you know what time to come over as soon as I've spoken to John.
7: Goodbye, Harry. Goodbye, Nancy.
5: If you ask me, John... I think you went about it the wrong way. Darling,
7: I know you're trying to help, but I wish you'd leave business matters to me.
5: I imagine your attack on the editor today won't have helped the situation. You can't go about giving the press orders like you do your employees.
7: I am not without influence in this part of the country, you know.
5: But you do lack subtlety at times. You really do. Sounds as if you want
7: me to commit suicide, financial suicide.
5: Don't be silly. You said yourself that you're too strong for that.
7: So I am. Suicide is either cowardice or mania, and I've no use for either. That's why I can't attach any importance to all this talk about the mysterious past of Medlow House, evil forms at work and all that.
5: All right. So what is the answer?
7: I thought you were
5: about to tell me. I am. Listen, darling, I've had a marvellous idea. What? Why don't you tell the editor that to allay any fears from prospective patients and backers, etc., you, John Burley, hard-headed businessman, intend to spend a night alone in the house with all those ghosts. That way you don't just talk about it, you actually do something. For if it's safe for you to spend time in Medlow House, it's certainly going to be safe for others to do so. Now, don't you think that's brilliant of me? Darling, I think you're
7: marvellous. Action speaks louder than words. Precisely.
5: That way you nip any damaging talk in the bud before the superstition begins to take root.
7: I've had an even better idea. You come with me. What? You've no other plans, have you?
5: Uh, no. No.
7: don't you see? Having a woman also in the house, and my wife at that, lends even greater strength to my argument that the place is perfectly safe. Oh, darling, you're wonderful. Mmm...
5: Um, perhaps, perhaps we ought to have yet another observer present, someone not connected with the project. I mean, let's face it, we could come out the following morning and tell the papers anything, because it would be in our interests to do so. But if we included a third party who hasn't anything to gain financially...
7: Yes. Yes, I see what you mean. Uh, But who?
5: I was thinking of Harry Mortimer.
7: Harry? Why Harry?
5: Why not, Harry?
7: Hmm. Well, as an officer and a gentleman, that's a good start. Not connected with the firm? Member of the armed forces? Proves he's level-headed? Yes. as I think you're right, darling. I think he'd be admirable. Is he back from tour?
5: I don't know. I'll give him a ring and see. When do you want to go?
7: Next weekend. The sooner we scotch this story, the better. (laughs)
1: sir. I must say I'm really looking forward to tonight. There must be a masochistic streak in me somewhere.
7: You're not saying you believe in all those stories, are you, Mortimer? Of course not, sir. But on such a lovely summer's day, I can think of much better things to do.
5: It's the night we're concerned with, Harry. It's only for
7: one night. Then hopefully tomorrow morning we'll come out to camera bulbs flashing away, reporters asking us inane questions, and a considerable investment safe and sound. I suppose it was Nancy's idea to ask me. As an objective observer, yes. I thought it a good idea, too, and uh, very grateful to you, Mortimer. Not at all, sir. Well, I've been rather cunning. I've chosen a date when, in reality, there are only four hours of actual darkness. It's the longest day today.
5: Oh, John, you are (laughs) clever. I wouldn't have thought of that.
7: Well, I must confess that it had more to do with good luck. But then luck quite often contributes to one's success, doesn't it?
5: Let's hope the press don't cotton onto the fact.
7: Doesn't alter anything. We will have carried out our side of the bargain. We would have stayed in Medlow House for one night, even though only half of it is in actual darkness. Next turning on the right, Braden. Are we there? We are.
1: I hope you'll change the name of the place when it becomes a nursing home, John. I most
7: certainly will.
5: Something optimistic, unlike the building. I'm right, John, it is ugly. Don't you think it's ugly, Harry? The windows are too small. As for that creeper...
7: Nonsense. Ugly, but imposing. Very imposing. You two stay here for a moment. Brady and I will just take a look around and decide what room to use. Brady, will you bring the hamper and blankets? I expect the whole place reeks of paint.
1: Well, darling, you know I always like to go to bed with you at the first opportunity, but never have we done it with John sleeping in the same room. (laughs) Rather (laughs) off-putting, I imagine. You
5: mustn't talk like that, Harry. Well,
1: Why did you suggest I come with you on this farce? Was it to be spiteful?
5: I didn't plan it like this, believe me.
1: Spending a night in the same room with you and not being able to touch you. Torture, my darling, sheer torture.
5: you just have to control yourself. Anyway, I wanted your company, that's all. We don't have to make love every time we're alone. You're not sorry you came, really, are you?
1: I love you so much, you know. I can't refuse you anything. Oh, Nancy. Mm. Mm. Mm.
5: Mm. Oh, please. John can see us from the window.
1: I bet he doesn't make love to you like I do. No. No. He treats you like a child instead of a woman.
5: He respects me, though. That's the difference between you and him.
1: The difference, my love, lies in our ages. Fifteen years' difference.
5: <gasps> couldn't resist mentioning it again, could you?
1: Money. What a power it is.
5: As you pointed out on the phone to me, I've got the best of both worlds, haven't I? His money. Your body.
1: You really are a ruthless bitch.
7: Nancy! Harry! We're going to use a room on the first floor.
1: Here he comes, the poor old fool. Shut up!
7: Uh, what's that, darling? Red has taken the hamper and things to a room on the first floor, at the back, overlooks the lawn. He's then going with the car to the inn. I expect that's where the reporters will be staying. He can keep them company. Come on, you're in for a really fascinating night.
1: I can't wait.
7: That's like a museum.
1: I can smell the specimens.
5: I should have picked some roses and brought them in. Incidentally, i have been looking further into the legend about this house,
1: John. And what other horrors have you discovered?
5: Well, apart from the people who've committed suicide here, a figure is seen, so the story goes, the figure of a man.
1: Oh, good. Perhaps he'll put it in appearance tonight as part of the cabaret.
5: I hope he doesn't. Why? Well, apparently he's only seen before something happens.
1: Something happens? Yes. Well, whatever that something is, it can't happen to all three of us. Why not? Well,
7: not at once. Can it?
5: You didn't say anything
7: about this before, Nancy.
5: I only discovered it yesterday. Came across a book in the library, local stories and legends. In here.
7: Ah, the ballroom. How delightful.
5: Is this the best room, John?
7: I so. All the others are wet with paint or filled with workmen's ladders, ropes, pasting boards, everything imaginable.
5: I'll unpack the hamper. Did you bring some wine?
7: Yes. Three bottles. <laughs> well, thank God for that.
5: Well, gather round, then. It's all packed separately in little boxes. John, open the wine, will you?
7: Right. Tell us about the figure, Nancy. Yes.
1: I'd be interested to know what this ghost is like. If there's going to be a fourth, then maybe there's a chance of a game
5: of bridge. Oh, <laughs> shut up, Harry, and eat. Well, I know very little other than what the booklet said. It's a man, and he changes.
7: Changes? What do you mean? Changes clothes, shape?
5: What? No. According to the story, he appears to the man who...
7: What? He appears to the man who
1: what?
5: He appears to the man, or woman, I suppose, who's going to die, as himself or herself. Well,
7: I see. At least I think I do. I think what she
1: means, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that each time the chap saw his own double, before he did it, before he killed himself, right?
5: Yes, that's right.
1: Well, as I said, spare rooms were at a premium in this little holiday resort, you see. So this one man, who had two rooms available to rent, he was a retired naval captain, by the way, refused to let the rooms to any of the holidaymakers desperate for accommodation. The rooms faced south, And he kept them full of flowers. As we fished together, I asked him why he continued to keep them empty when he could make himself a bit of money. It was on the south wind that my love came to me, he said. And it was on the south wind that she left. I keep those two rooms free for her.
5: That's lovely, Harry. Harry. It was on the south wind that my love came to me and it was on the south wind that she left that's really beautiful by left i suppose he meant that she died or, or ran away
7: you ask for a story and you give us a poem harry that's odd for someone like you you're in love i can see it on your face as you told that story You're in love with my wife, probably. Of course I am, sir. I thought you knew that.
5: Don't be silly, Harry.
1: It's possible, though, isn't it? Quite possible.
5: Harry! He's only joking, aren't you, Harry? Only joking. Harry!
7: He doesn't confirm or deny you notice, Nancy. Well, in such a situation, I suppose... I can see the possibility of a man doing one of two things.
5: Have you any other stories, Harry? What about you, John? And what
7: are they, sir? Two things. Murder or suicide.
5: John, I hate and loathe you when you talk like that. Anyway, you said you couldn't conceive of any reason why a man who at least called himself a man should commit suicide.
7: You're right. It's gone two o'clock. It'll start getting light soon. I think I'll take a turn round the house. Stretch my legs. I won't be long. You'll be all right on your own, no doubt.
1: Did he mean anything by that? He doesn't love you in the least bit, anyway. He never did. I do. You're wasted on him, Nancy you belong to me I love you <laughs> do you think he saw us in the car
5: I don't know he may have done what's that
1: the, the morning breeze caught something in the room next door I expect but N- not against the wall remember the windows are open
5: maybe John's in there he's different restless didn't you notice what he said just now that under certain circumstances he could understand a man committing either murder or suicide that's not like him harry he didn't say that for nothing
1: he's bored to tears that's all and the house is getting on your nerves too
5: stop it i hate you harry why do i allow you to treat me like Lovely night,
1: what are you trying to say
5: that at times you treat me like a whore, like the ones you no doubt visit each time you sail into a different port.
1: You know something, I believe you're only playing with me after all. It's him you really love, isn't it?
5: He's always been fair to me, kind and generous. He never blames me for anything, oh. I don't know. My nerves are on edge. Give me a cigarette, please.
7: Sorry if I startled you.
5: Harry was just giving me a cigarette, that's all.
7: So I see. You know this place is perfect. I've been through every room on this floor. It'll make a splendid nursing home. It's a good investment.
5: Listen. That noise again. What is it?
7: I can't hear anything. The wind, probably the south wind, our little friend. Something blown over, I expect. That's all. I'll go and see if you like. The doors and windows are open to let the paint dry. Causes a draft.
1: I'll go this time, if you like, sir.
5: No, I will. I'd like to. I haven't been out of this room since we came. I'm not afraid, honestly.
7: I won't be a minute. Nancy. She'll be all right, Mortimer. She'll be safe. Nothing's going to happen to her. As you
1: say, it was only the wind. A dawn wind, probably. It's gone a quarter past two and the sun rises at a quarter to four. The shortest night is never quite dark, is it? I mean, it's even a little bit light now. What's that?
7: Nancy, in the next room. Glad to be alone for a moment, I expect. Mortimer, if I thought that you two were serious... Do you know what I should do? I should like one of us, you or myself, to remain in this house dead. I trust her, absolutely. Understand me? That my belief in women, in human beings, would go, and with it, the desire to live. Old-fashioned, you think? Maybe, but that's what I believe. Nancy is my life, you see.
5: What are you two talking about? It was a bell rope swinging in the wind and hitting a sheet of metal in front of the fireplace. That's all. I hate this house. I wish we'd never come.
7: The moment there's a light in the sky, we'll go. I think I'll take another look around. I may go out onto the lawn a bit and see what the sky is doing.
5: Harry? Yes? I'm afraid.
1: Oh, darling. No!
5: Don't touch me.
1: You'll get cold sitting by that window.
5: The way he looked just now. Strange. Alone. The way he looked at me as he went out. I saw nothing. No you wouldn't. It was as if he knew I had betrayed him.
1: Look, Nancy, I didn't want to come.
5: I'm not blaming you. I'm sorry. Something's going to happen. What? To us. One of us. Something's going to happen.
1: Nancy, listen, let's go. Let's get out of here.
5: Do you think, do you really think John...
1: No, 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 not John. He's not the type. He can take care of himself.
5: Yes. He's strong. You
1: don't believe that story, do you?
5: About all the suicides? Yes. It's a fact. You can't dispute facts.
1: And the figure? The ghost?
5: Listen, it's John. He's coming back.
1: You do love him, don't you? Shh.
5: They've gone again.
1: Gone into another room, probably.
5: Why? Why was he going to...
1: Outside, then. He said he was going outside. On the lawn.
5: Yes. We should see him in a minute on the lawn
1: I, I am sorry Nancy I'm sorry
5: there's that sound again
1: it's nothing I tell you it's only that loose rope swinging in the next room hitting the wall like you said
5: no that wasn't true what there was no rope swinging against the wall I invented it because I thought we'd heard something and it sounded logical There was nothing. Oh, my God. It's John. I must go. No,
1: Nancy, wait.
5: Listen, listen. John. Oh, John, it's you. I thought... Oh, darling. You're so cold.
7: I'm going out onto the lawn now I won't be a minute
5: Harry you saw you noticed what he was different the eyes the hair the twist in his face what on earth are you saying
1: pull yourself together
5: altered Harry altered
1: Nancy please come away from the window for God's sake this is sheer nonsense don't let yourself go to pieces like this I'll put it straight with him I'll tell him it was all my fault I'll try and explain
5: it's too late that wasn't John at all in here just now I'd know I'd know wouldn't I well look what
1: down there on the lawn see there he is He'll be back up here in a minute.
5: No. Oh, my God, no. Harry. Next door. It's John. Hanging. Swinging.
1: But he's down there. Walking in the garden, for God's sake.
5: No. Took on his likeness to deceive us, to give him time. He's done it.
1: Stay here.
0: That was The Decoy by Algernon Blackwood, starring George Baker as John, Susan Jameson as Nancy, Peter Woodward as Harry, and Peter Baldwin as Mr Gower. The Sound Balance was by Graham Harper. Haunted was adapted and directed by Derek Hodinot.